You all timed it right. The Lord timed it right. We got in here. I was looking out that back window and the storm started coming down in the rain. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, we're worshiping. Rapture's now, Lord. This would be great. I was in that mall. I was like, Lord. It would be so sweet. And God's like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> God's like, no, I know far more than you. So, uh, well, happy midweek, man. We're, we're alive, we're well, better than we deserve. God is so good to us. If you're new here, uh, it's your first night, welcome to Calvary Chapel. Um, glad you're here with us. And uh, my name is Pastor Matt. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to continue where we left off. We've come as far as verse 1 in chapter 9. Uh, just for context, I'm going to start back in verse uh, 19 of chapter 8, just so everybody knows where we're going and what the Lord has been doing. What a miraculous time for Samuel as he's stepping out, and especially in chapter 9, as we're going to read, I mean, to hear, can you, I mean, wow, to hear audibly from the Lord just moment by moment as he's getting direct revelation, you know, for what he's going to tell Saul so that Saul turns around and he, you know, he's like, wow, you know, how did you know that I'm looking for donkeys? How did you know, you know, all these things are going to unfold? And Samuel's like, God just keeps revealing it to him. And I, I think how sweet that is when we slow down and are able to hear God's still small voice. You know, the one thing that was precious, if there was anything during that time a few months back, was that everybody slowed down and we were able to open our Bibles and just feast and feast without distraction, without distraction for many. We were able to pray for those that needed prayer, that were sick. But, And now I've already begun to see this week as our first week back, you know, really back with school and our teachers are doing a great job. And I, I see them coming in and they're, they're, they're kind of, all right, here we go. And they're doing a great job. The kids today, we had that that midweek where by the end of the day, you know, a little bit like, okay, they're taking it in. They're kind of, they're happy to be back. You know, they're happy to be here, but they're like, I could use a little nap somewhere in between. Can we work that into the schedule? You know, um, I second that motion. Um, but it's just sweet when we can, when we can slow down enough to hear God everything going on. I mean, if you, if you all turned on your news, I kind of hope you haven't, but if you have and you turned on the news channels, such chaos. Such chaos. If, you, if you didn't think you were living in the last days, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how you can not, like, you know, pinch yourself. Are you, are you awake? Are you alive? I mean, look at everything that's going on. I mean, young people being murdered in the streets and, you know, drive-by shootings and different things like that and riots and corporations and businesses, people's lives being destroyed and all under the guise of protecting another life. Such a lie from the pit of hell. And people are cowering. Companies and colleges and curriculum starting to be interwoven with this 
social justice gospel that I don't find anywhere in the Word of God. And I think back to the days of the judges, and I find myself in this chapter here with you this evening, and here we are. You know, we've come so far with our technology and our medicine and all of these things, and yet, thousands of years later, if you read the book of Judges and you read a transcript of the news of the daily events, you would think you're living in the same time and same era. And there was only one prescription that I read and find in Scripture. Only one. There's not many roads, not many ways. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Look at verse 19 in chapter 8. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey. The voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. We know better. Friends, don't be like the world. That we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. We want to be like everybody else. Instead of realizing we are holy and set apart by God, and we are blood-bought by Jesus Christ. The church and the Christian today wants to be a chameleon in the world. Maybe not you. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. He went to God with these things. Samuel, the prophet, the last of the judges, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. Here's a man where there is no guile. Maybe some of you this evening have felt that way. Lord, what do you have for me to do these days? What, what, in the times we're living, in the things that are going on, what ministry, what do you have for me to do, Lord, in this? I don't agree with these things. Evil being called good, good being called evil. It's getting more and more wicked. Lord, am I to lock myself in my house and pretend that this isn't happening? Am I to distract myself with the, you know, joys of alternative things that take your mind off of the reality? Or is each one of us sincerely supposed to get on our knees and pray without ceasing for our Lord and Savior to save the lost, to redeem the broken, and to take his bride home? So the Lord said to Samuel, notice that when we go to God, God will hear us. And God will respond. Heed their voice and make them a king. You know what he says right now? Give them what they want. Now allow me to allow you to fast forward to the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2. He says, in the last days I will give them over to debased minds. That is what we're seeing today. 
That is what we're seeing in Chicago. That's what we're seeing in Portland. That's what we're seeing all around the world. And you know what? That's what we're seeing in our own neighborhoods. And maybe somebody here, that's what we're seeing in our own hearts. Boy, pastor, I, I man, what happened? I came in midweek. I mean, oh, I, you know, boy. The stakes are high, friends. People are dying and going to hell. The stakes are high. The church has been asleep too long. It's time we stand in the gap. We stand with Jesus. We be available. We be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within us. You might recommend or remember that, excuse me, from the book of Peter. He goes on to say, and Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Isn't that interesting? Go to his city. Go do what you do. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, the son of Bacharoth, the son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite a mighty man of power. Please underline that. He was one of the mighty men. It'll come out later why that's important, but he was a mighty man because the mighty men are the men that are going to come with Saul where there are going to be some that rebel, but it's the mighty men that come along Saul's side. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Now, this idea in the Hebrew, when it says choice, obviously we know what handsome means. Handsome means handsome. Choice, what it's saying here, is this was the pick or the cream of the crop. This is one that you would, if you're watching Netflix, you'd pause, you'd rewind 15 seconds, you'd play again. You'd pause, you'd rewind 15 seconds, ladies, you'd play again. You ladies that like uh, Narnia, Prince Caspian, this is your Prince Caspian. Some of you ladies know, you talk, you know what I'm talking about. I used a C.S. Lewis movie, there you go, or a movie inspired by C.S. Lewis, to at least keep it Christian, right? But this man, I mean, he's, he's a handsome-looking guy. He's probably pretty well-built. He's very tall, taller than pretty much anybody else in that area at that point. Some have suggested some seven foot. So, you know, a good-looking chap. He's standing up, kind of broad shoulders, and very handsome this way. You might say from the exterior, he's, dare I say, near perfect. I wonder what God wants to teach us about looking on the exterior compared to the interior or the heart. Maybe God has a uh, lesson for us here on what we look at and how we judge things. There is not a more handsome person than among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of his people. Now the donkeys. Why does God use donkeys? I, I was thinking, I underlined in my Bible, I'm like, here we go with Numbers 22, 22 again. You know, I think of Balaam. I'm like, the donkeys. He uses the, But each time, think of the lesson that's learned from the individual that has that experience with the donkeys. You might be looking at the donkeys going, what's the big deal about the donkeys, Pastor Matt? You're obsessed with donkeys. No. He literally uses this donkey to go out, right? And you know, he's going to say to him, hey, go find the donkeys. And it just happens that the donkeys happen to get lost in the hometown of Samuel. Just coincidence, of course, right? You know, a little quinky dink there. 
I just love it when God uses those things just to point out that there is no coincidence. That God is authoring and he can use animals, he can use people, he can use anything he chooses to. He says, for where the wind blows, there is the spirit. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's fathers, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of your servants with you, and arise, go, and look for the donkeys. Saul's thinking, I got donkey duty, right? <laughs> so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, that's the area of Samuel's home, and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalom, or Shalim, and they were not there. Then they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuphath, Saul said to his servants, who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkey, and he begin to worry about us. Fair enough. He's traveling. These areas are miles and miles apart. Hours have and hours have passed, and at this point they can't find the trail. You have to understand it's a different time. It was an agrarian society. They were very much used to animals and or you know fields and things like that. They were very trained. They could pick up track. They could pick up different things like that. There, I mean, you would think a donkey isn't one of those things that are too hard to find. You know, it's it's not going to giddy up and you know you're not going to find it. You know. So he's looking all around, and he starts to realize, well, you know what? We better think about turning around. Sounds like a good idea, right? I mean, put yourself in Saul's place. Here you are. You're wandering. You don't know where you're going. You're looking for these donkeys for dad. And you're thinking, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. You know, I've got some things I've brought with me, but not enough to last a couple days. So you're thinking, you know what? Probably getting late. I'm going to turn around and head back home. Seems like a good idea, right? But what if God has a different plan? What if God's about to take you out of that comfort zone? Maybe out of what you felt comfortable in. Maybe he's going to stretch you and to take you to places you've never been, to people you've never met. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to follow a donkey? And he said to him, look now. There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man, and all that he says surely comes to pass. That was the uh, reputation that Samuel had as a prophet. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. What does that tell you? That, that Saul still doesn't know where he's going. He still doesn't know the direction he should be heading. Does Saul know to go to God? What happened when... Samuel, dealing with the people, refused to obey. What did Samuel do? Samuel went to God. Here's this man, Saul. We don't see anything like that. Now, I'm not criticizing Saul at the moment. I'm simply pointing out a difference. I'm simply pointing out a difference. That, that Saul, in his wisdom, and his servant's wisdom, more importantly, hey, Let's find somebody that can help us. Again, what seems wrong with that? That makes sense. Notice that it wasn't Saul that received that word. How many times does the Lord put someone in our lives, a path, a friend, a loved one, ladies, helpmates, husbands, pay attention, 
that God is using to direct our steps and paths. Perhaps he can show us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? You know, in that culture, certainly respect and host and being a guest, things like that, you would bring a gift. You know, I can remember my wife, you know, being from an Italian home. My wife's from a Spanish home, Italian home. You know, it was very much in our culture. When you would go to somebody's house, you would bring something. Even if it was a loaf of bread, you never went empty-handed. And you'd always bring something when you would go. It was just the way. I remember one time we were running late, surprise. And um, you've been here any longer than a week. You aren't surprised when I'm running late. And, you know, I go to say, come on, we're going to go. We're in the car. we got to get there. You know, we're in the Bronx at that time. And, we, you know, the traffic, and especially if you're heading over the Frog's Neck Bridge, if you've ever been, you, it's not like you, you get hit with two hours of traffic. You're done. you got to make it, right, before the certain time. So I'm like, man, we got to go or we're going to miss the window. Hang on. we got to stop at the market. What? Like, can't we stop at the market next door? Well, I don't know. I know this market's got the fresh bread. You know, it's near Arthur Avenue, so you got very good homemade breads, right? So let's stop and grab the bread. Some of you are shaking your head. You're from New York. You know the area. It's Arthur Avenue. It's bread. It's Italian. It's food. It's beautiful. So you turn around, and you're saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. So I do it. She says we stop, and we get the bread. Happen to work out, but... I want you to think about that. This is what Saul's thinking about. It's getting dark. Things are getting late. The night is passing on. Is this really the time? Should we be heading back home? What is more prudent? What makes more sense? What seems more logical? Seems more logical to head back, right? I mean, that's especially, you know, it's getting late. Even if you are a handsome, tall-looking dude, you know, you still got some common sense about you and you want to head back. Uh, and he's looking for reasons. Why don't you have a gift to give this guy? I got nothing. That tells us that when he was going on this journey, he didn't think this was going to be a long journey. You ever had that happen? Something that should be simple, and you think it's, oh, it'll, and it's a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. For the bread, right, he says, then Saul said to his son, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Again, I think that's very common. That shows even in that day people understood that they sought God's prophets or God's men in that way whether it was to find something as simple as an animal. You might think, well, God, I don't want to bother God with some of these things going on in my life. You know, they're such small things. Do you know that God's interested in every detail of your life? Every hair on your head? There's nothing ever too small to bring to God. But so many people today, they're, they, you know, they, they're afraid to bring these things. Oh, I don't want to waste God's time. Oh, you're not. He loves you. Formerly, in Israel, and we're getting the understanding here of this man of God here, Samuel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. That name comes from the idea that he could see. He was able to prophesy. You know, prophesy. He was able to tell or foretell the future. 
Today, our understanding of a prophet is different than the Old Testament understanding that we see of a seer or even of Samuel, although Samuel was both. But that idea of a prophet, we think of today as a mouthpiece of the Lord, one who speaks of the, with the voice of God. Thus saith the Lord, they would might say. But in that day, a seer was somebody that you would go to and say, you know, where did I place my gold earring? And they would tell you. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. We get some additional information here, right? One who receives divine revelation versus, again, one who would proclaim and be used as a voice piece for God. Samuel is, in effect, both because he's the introduction to this idea of the prophets. He's the first of the prophets. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went up to the city where the man of God was. Now again, they're tracking the donkey. They're making their way. They're going. They're trying to get close. The servant says, Hey, there's the prophet, the man of God up here. Let's go see him. Coincidentally, we're going to end up there. Meanwhile, God is doing what? God all but put breadcrumbs this whole way. But let me ask you a question. Does it seem that way to Saul? Or does Saul, to him, is it steps of faith? Because he can't see what's around the corner. But to you and I, reading the account, looking in the rearview mirror, God had this whole thing in control. He provided a servant. He provided a quarter of a shekel. He provided everything that was needed. But for Saul and the servant living in that moment, they don't know where they're going. They're going to a man of God to find some donkeys. They have no idea of God's true plan. God is so gentle. So many people worry about stepping out of the will of God. God is so gentle, he will redirect your steps. If you are walking in faith with the heart after the Lord, he will gently and always redirect you. If it's with a right heart, without a heart of uh, pride or arrogance or the evil way, a heart of, you know, guile, no. But a true genuine heart, he'll always redirect your steps. So, they went up to the hill to the city. Here we go. And they met some young women. Now remember, here's uh, Mr. Handsome. Going out to draw water, and they said to them, Is the seer here? Now you can imagine some of these ladies, right? They're standing out there. They're getting water. Hey, excuse me, ladies. Do you know where the seer is? The ladies turn around. You Can't you see that we're... Absolutely. Let's have a whole conversation right about now. The whole I mean, do you in that culture men would not normally go up to women at a well to ask things like that. If you knew the culture, that's why I'm bringing this out. Because this is telling us something in the context for us to understand. That was not common. As you matter as a matter of fact, even in Jesus's day, do you remember when Jesus stopped the woman that was getting water and it was what is Jesus doing alone with that woman at the well? It was it was thought of you don't do that. So here these two men say, do you know where the seer was? They felt it important enough to stop these ladies working and not thinking that it would be inappropriate to do so. 
That shows us that in their hearts, they, they believe they were on true mission. So these young ladies turn and they say to him, yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. Look at that. Samuel just happened to come to that city where there's a sacrifice just at the time that Saul gets there. Now, what happened if Saul would have said, forget this, we're going back home? He would have missed a divine opportunity, right? A divine appointment. What would have happened if he found the donkeys right away? Missed a divine appointment. What would have happened if those ladies weren't at the well at that particular time to grab the water and that they felt comfortable, even though against cultural norm, to stop and say to those ladies, do you know the seer? There were so many events that took place in this that you can't miss the fingerprints of God of how he was moving to arrange all of this with the perfect timing down to the fraction of a second of how this is all going to work. And friends, I look at you tonight in your eyes and I say, if God can do this, what can he do in your life? What in, li what in your life are you struggling with in a circumstance that you think God can't arrange or coordinate the timing of the event? He can do anything and everything. God is always on time. It's me that's just catching up. Hurry now, as though they actually needed to hurry. For today he came to the city because there's a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes. Boy, they're, they're talking a lot to him here, huh? Because he must bless the sacrifice. And, and they're sitting there going, uh-huh. I just wanted to know where the seer was. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, afterward, those who, sorry, now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. So they're walking this way. Samuel's coming out this way, and they are going to come together, right? God's perfect timing. Samuel just happens to be walking right out as he's making his way to the high place. That's a place of worship. And they call it the high place, this place of where sacrifice was done. So as he's making his way out to go up to the altar to, to conduct the sacrifice, the burnt offering, uh, the repentance offering for sin, what have you, for the people. That's what's going on here. There, he's making his way out. Samuel himself is going this way, and God is setting up a perfectly timed divine appointment. I love when I see the Lord move this way because I know he moves this way in my life. And he moves this way in your life too. And it just excites me. And it gives me tremendous hope. Now the Lord had told Samuel, well, let, let me back up. So he turns around and so, so he went as they were coming and said, there's Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, how about that? Hey, Saul, or, hey Samuel, he speaks to him in his inner ear. You know what that is? You, some of you maybe have had that. You know, I, I was sitting with someone today in counseling, and, um, you know, I, I asked them, I said, how do you know when it's the voice of the Lord in your inner ear? 
And she says, I don't know what you're talking about, inner ear. I got two ears. What, what, I don't have a third in. What are you talking about? I said, you know, when the Lord speaks to you, whether it's sort of audibly or it's through thought that comes into your mind. I said, you know that Satan appears as an angel of light. So it's possible for those thoughts to come in. How do you know the difference between the thoughts that are pure and true from the Lord? Does anybody know here tonight? Because it's really quite easy, actually, when you study all of Scripture and you look at it, it's really one of two different, it's binary in its approach. It's either conviction or condemnation. When you hear that thought come through, it's one or the other. It's conviction or condemnation. One is from the Lord. One is from the enemy. Romans 8, 1, for there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So it can't be condemnation because then the word of God would contradict itself, and that's impossible. So it must be binary. So if you have conviction, what does the peaceful correction look like? Love, right? Comfort, rest, strength. Hope, that's the outcome. That's the production of what comes of that. You may not like it at the moment. I don't like it at the moment. Sometimes when Lord is gently taking me to task on certain things that I need when I invite him to examine my heart, and he's so faithful to do so, I may come to this, but ultimately when it produces an agape love, when it produces a comfort and rest in Jesus, when I turn around and I find strength to keep going on and hope, well, I know the Lord has spoken to me. Son of man, stand and hear. Eat what I give you. Ezekiel chapter 2, right? I, I know God is speaking to my heart through that still small voice. But what about times when condemnation comes, but you can't recognize it at that first because initially it's coming across the bow and it feels the same way, except all of a sudden instead of finding love, you respond and you feel guilt. And instead of finding that comfort, you experience fear. Instead of finding that rest, you are consumed with anxiety. Instead of finding that strength, you end up with bitterness and despair. And instead of coming away with hope, many times you come away with loneliness. I am the only one left, Lord. Elijah, there is no other. Elijah, I've got how many in this city that you don't know about? He didn't speak in the thunderings and the fire and all of that. He spoke through the still, small voice. That's what Samuel heard. He heard the Lord. And it wasn't, Samuel, he doesn't talk to you that way. What did you do? No. Matt? No. Son, I love you. I know you're afraid. I know you don't know what you're doing. I love you. Follow my steps and I will direct your paths. Have no thought of your own. Take no thought of your own. Don't figure it out. Don't rely on your intellect. Trust me and follow me. For I have plans to prosper you. I have plans for you 
when I knit you in your mother's womb. And he begins to just speak in the love language that only my father can speak in. And I know my dad's voice. My Abba Father. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear that day before Samuel came saying, Tomorrow about this time, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people. Please circle that. Never let us... Oh, man. May we never think anything belongs to us. Our children are alone to us. Our wives belong to God, and we are a covering. The finances he's entrusted to us belong to him. The home we have and the blessings he's poured out, they're all his for his glory and work. The church that you, the building you attend belongs to him. This is his church. He's the shepherd and he always will be. And if there's ever a day that a man, including me, stands up here and actually declares a wisdom instead of the word of God, walk out. Or better yet, drag me out. And one of you men, stand up and read the word of God. Because it's his people. It's his church. And it's his word. And he calls his anointed. And the minute the, the anointed think that they know more than the God who's called them, entitlement sets in. And you end up like Ephesus. You leave your first love. And you don't even know it. And that's the very thing that's going to happen to Saul, as we'll read. So, he speaks to him. He starts to tell him what's going to happen. Tomorrow about this time, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people, Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Yeah, they're still battling with the Philistines. Even after everything that had gone, even after Samson and the, the escapades there, yes, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. How gracious is God, even while they're sinning, even while they have turned around. But do you remember what they did? They did come to him in repentance. Remember, Samuel sacrificed for the people. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where's the seer's house? He goes right up to him. He's like, where's the seer? Do you know a seer? I think there's a seer here. And meanwhile, Samuel's like, I have been waiting to meet you. I love that. You know, Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Can you imagine Saul at that moment? Oh, Go up before me to that high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Don't you all want to know that? Isn't that your desire? Wouldn't that be great to just sit down with God and allow God to tell you all that's in your heart? And to actually meet a man that could sit down through direct revelation of the Holy Spirit? And have you ever had that experience where you sit down with somebody and they can tell you what makes you tick, who you are, and 
and you don't even know them. But the Holy Spirit can speak, and he reveals things, and he does that to prick your heart so you know at that moment that something unique is going on, something extraordinary. He says, I will let you go and will tell you all in your heart. But as for your donkeys, let's not forget the donkeys that were lost three days ago. Now, this is for Samuel. Sorry, this is for Saul. I meant to say Samuel's giving this. This is, this is just for a sign that, that Saul at this moment can go, okay, I'm checked in. Because how would he have known about that? When he's able to give that divine revelation, now all of a sudden Saul's like, wow, wow. You ever had God do that with you? Oh, it's awesome, right? But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them, for they have been found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel. You see, at that point, the donkeys were of no matter anymore. It was never about the donkeys. It is not on you and on all, is it not on you and all of your father's house? Can you imagine him hearing that? He's thinking, me? You got the wrong guy. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjaminite, the smallest of all the tribes? Do you, do you know why he says that? Because in the time of the judges, do you remember what happened in Judges 19.14 with Gibeah and Benjamin? And because of the Levite and the concubine and the wickedness that was done by the homosexual agenda that they came up and they were going to try to rape uh, you know, the, the Levite that was coming there and said the guy, the house turns around and puts out, uh, you know, well, he puts his, I'll put out my daughter and then the Levite's going to put out his concubine and then they, horrible, they, you know, rape her, you know, the whole thing. And then the next day she's found dead, barely, you know, on the doorstep like that. Such a disgrace. If you remember at that time, the Levite was so concerned about getting to his own homeland because he thought he would be safer there than he would in the pagan land. And it's in that own homeland, that area of Benjamin, that this disgrace happens by God's people in Gibeah. And so what happens, and you might remember this again, you can go back and study Judges 19.14. If you go back and look what happened, at that point all of Israel gets together because the Levite cuts up the body parts of the woman. Again, disgusting and wrong all the way around, but sends it out to all the tribes. People come to him and say, what is the meaning of this? Why would you do such a thing? Well, let me tell you what happened to my concubine. And he goes on and he explains to the people, the people are enraged. Why would this happen? Such a thing has never happened like this in all of Israel. And they turn around and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go against these people and we're going to find out why they did this thing. They call in the people of Gibeah. The people of Gibeah said, you know, yep. You know, they don't, they don't deny the accusation at all. They don't turn around. As a matter of fact, they mount forces to go against Israel. 400,000 plus, 25,000 or 30,000 from Benjamin, the tribe. And so they end up going through this, and they go back and forth, and then twice they are defeated. Benjamin actually defeats them, right? which is astounding when you talk about 400,000 men. And then what happens after that? They come, and God even says, go. Do it your way. They're defeated again. And finally they come, and repentance follows. And then repentance follows. They turn around, and God says, now go, and I will be with you. 
and he goes and he defeats and he basically empowers them and they go out and they defeat almost all of Benjamin minus or sans 600 men that flee. And so you went from having a whole tribe of 25 plus thousand, 30,000 to 600 men. Then they turn around and what happens next? We studied it when we were going through the book of Judges line by line. They turned around and what did they do? Oops, this is a bad thing. One of the tribes might be eliminated from the line. What did we do? So they turned around and said, you know what? I, I know what we'll do. We'll take from another tribe within Israel and uh, we'll, we'll take the wives from them and the other people and we'll just, we'll just kidnap their wives and we'll bring them and have them marry the Benjamites and they will reprocreate and then therefore the tribe of Benjamin will go you know, and be strong again and what have you. But even through all that, they were still one of the smallest and weakest tribes because of that sin. So here is Saul looking and saying, well, do you not know that basically upon you, all of the desire of Israel, is it not on you and your father's house? He's saying, what are you talking about? I'm not from the right family. I'm not from the right side of the tracks. I am so glad God's not a respecter of persons. There is no such thing as the right side of the tracks with the Lord. He can take anybody from anywhere and he makes all things new. The oldest passed away. Everything has been new like a beautiful flower that had always craved sun but once was in darkness but now is in the light and blossoms and grows and the best is yet to come for that flower. Please notice with me the humility that Saul has here. It's always that way in the beginning. He comes at it. He's very humble. Me? <laughs> and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then you, do you speak to me like this? Or this? Why do you speak like this to me? He's, he's humble. This is all the right traits. But it won't take too many chapters from now that Saul will begin to have his own ideas and he will not be obedient to God. Instead, he would rather bring sacrifice to God rather than obedience. And the thing, same thing could happen in our walk, men and women, friends. We can start real good. And then next thing you know, we are presuming upon God. We don't respect the authority or the anointed that God has put in our lives and our paths. We begin to presume upon people, wives and husbands, it happens even in ministry. It happens with pastors. It, ha it happens. It happens with elders. It happens with senior pastors. They do the same thing. Well, what, what's the big deal? I know what we need. I'm just going to, we're going to do it. Really? Do you not know that the Spirit of God is not even upon you? Or have you been making, I, I think that's what happened recently. If you, if you, not that you've asked my opinion, but when I saw this COVID thing happen and all of these churches that were selling tickets, I mean, you know, entertaining people instead of teaching the word of God, all of a sudden after that COVID and everything had shut down, guess what? People were no longer allowed into the movie theater that once they called a church. The word of God was no longer being taught there. And so God says, I'll give you what you want. You want entertainment. I'll let you have entertainment. It comes to a point where guess what? COVID happens. Churches shut down. And there wasn't a family 
They didn't come together to support each other. They, they, it's sad. It breaks my heart. Because what happened is so many churches have been closing. Because when the lights are off, we don't have to pay for admission. And that's how they looked at it. I praise God we, we didn't have that experience here. Where God guides, he provides. We didn't have that experience with anybody, any family I talked to, anybody that had a need, we reached out. Does anybody have a need, food, whatever? Everybody was, no, we are good, praise the Lord. And I watched how God went before his anointed. And not just this church, I, I, I heard Pittsburgh and Philly, even with Pastor Joe's over there and different church. This was happening all across. I was hearing about it. Even out west in California where they couldn't, even God's anointed were being covered and, and protected that way. And the churches were able to, you know, still pay the rent even though there was nobody in the building. But the churches where they were charging admission because there was a show every week, when they were no longer being entertained, or tickled, people moved on to something new. And you know what happened? The church ended up closing, or things happened like that. And many of the people didn't even know. They don't understand. They didn't know that was happening. They didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Earnestly, they didn't know there were wolves among the sheep there. They didn't know the pastor was a hireling. When the pastor begins to think he's God, or the pastor begins to think he knows more than God, watch out. There's a fall. There's a fall coming. I love Samuel's heart here. I love Saul's heart here. Just beautiful humility, beautiful humility. What it would be in God if all of us throughout our walk with Jesus Christ could maintain this humility, the same, the same response we had when we first got saved, that thanksgiving in our heart, that this wretched sinner receive the greatest gift of grace that could ever be poured out on a man. May I never forget God's love for me. Before I ever thought I was an under-shepherd or servant, I was a son first. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and they Set him in the place of honor among those who were invited. There was about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring that portion which I gave of you, which I said to you, set it apart. Speaking to the fact of uh, the anointing and the holiness of being set apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. Mind you, he hadn't eaten in a while. He'd been traveling all day. They put that brontosaurus burger right in front of him, man. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate that same day. 
When they had come down from the high place, the place of worship, into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. There arose early. They rose early, and it was about the dawning of the day. And this is speaking to the idea that it was the next day. Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. They're going to have a little talk. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. Now, you may think that's a strange thing if you saw that. Hey, I want to talk to you. You know, you just had this Bronisers burger. You slept probably pretty good. You know, you wake up the next day, you come out, it's midday, and all of a sudden, hey, I want to talk to you alone. You're alone. And all of a sudden, whoosh, and pours the oil right on you. What is happening? Please hold your finger here and turn to Exodus chapter 30. If you go to Exodus chapter 30, right around uh, verse 23. Exodus chapter 30, verse 23. While you're turning there, please, please understand, my heart is that we pray for those churches my heart is we pray for those pastors I was talking about. I'm not condemning them. I'm simply presenting what was happening. And it's my heart's desire that we lift them up and pray for them because many times the people didn't know. The pastors maybe didn't know themselves. I know there's times I don't know. I may think I'm doing something of the Lord and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And there's, if there's a man that stands up here and ever tells you he knows what he's doing, be on guard. Because every moment I have to follow my Savior. I have to follow my Lord. And all I'm drawing our attention to is we need to be praying for those people that had got hooked in or hoodwinked into those programs, into those you know, things of where they were, you know, you see me, you don't, somebody see some of your face, I know what you're talking. They send you postcards. Here's how to grow your church. Here's what you need to do. Call yourself a different name. Do these things. Do the, you know, do, this is how you grow your, yeah, yeah. You're, there's, there's whole marketing companies that are dedicated to going after churches and pastors to tell them how to reinvent themselves so they can be relevant to the, to the current generation. You know, at Shepherd School, we tell our, our young people and our people, that go, stay away from that junk. You want, your, you want to, the Lord's calling you to plant a church? The Lord's calling you to, to ministry? Teach the word in season and out of season, every jot and tittle, and watch God add to the church daily as he sees fit. You don't need a program. You need to read the word of God, and God will take care of all the rest, whether it's 15 people or 5,000 people. God knows. God knows. That, that's really my heart of what I was saying earlier, that we've, we've seen that. We've seen people get caught up in that. We need to be praying because they're still brothers and sisters. They just got caught up in something. 
And today they're probably, what do we do? Exodus chapter 30, verse 23, you turn there now, okay. Verse 22, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels um, of sweet-smelling cane. Okay, cinnamon and cane you're adding here. 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting. So here we see also that you can anoint objects with this oil. The ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, with all its utensils and the laver and its base, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy because God is holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons. Now we see also you can do what? You can anoint people and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you should speak to the children of Israel saying, this is a holy anointing oil to me throughout all your generations. It shall be poured on men's flesh. It shall not be poured out on men's flesh, nor shall you make any of it like it according to its composition. It is holy and shall be holy. In other words, it was to be holy and set apart for special occasions like an anointing of a king or a priest. If you remember, Deuteronomy chapter 17 spoke that one day there would be a king, and the king was also to do what? Not just be anointed with oil, certainly, but the other thing is he was to transcribe. He was to take and write out the entire word of God, just as a rabbi would have, a teacher would have, or a priest would have, that they would know the word of God. So he takes his flask, he pours it out, and he kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, Zelzah, and they will say to you, and please notice three things here, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall we do about my son? That's the first revelation he was given. Second one now is, then you shall go forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men Going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hand, God providing provisions. And the third, after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come to there to that city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, the place of worship, with string instruments, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. They were worshiping. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, some try to go and say this is a uh, where Saul is regenerated, right? The idea of the regeneration, as we read in the Testament, you know, somehow Saul here was regenerated or that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit at this point because all of a sudden he's prophesying or he's going to prophesy with these men. P please understand that, that this is not saying that in the Hebrew, the idea is... Uh, 
that he acted as the prophet. He acted as one like a prophet. If you read the Hebrew directly, that's what is explained or connoted in the Hebrew. It's not a, he was a prophet, because if you read it, you, you kind of might get that idea in the English, but that's not what the Hebrew is saying. The Hebrew is actually saying he acted like one as a prophet. So he was prophesying at that moment, but he did not get, he was not, he was not therefore known as a seer or a prophet of God that way, okay? That, that is the, the, the difference here, okay? The Spirit of God on anybody can produce supernatural giftings, just as we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? You at one moment may get a word from God or a, pro a prophetic utterance where you go up to somebody, and, and, and the way we understand it, certainly in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we've gone through the gifts. If you, if you want to go back on the website, you can listen through the teaching, but the gift of prophecy isn't just a gift where you come up to somebody and say, well, tomorrow at two o'clock, you will have a slice of bread and jelly. No, the gift of prophecy is the word of encouragement that you go up. As a matter of fact, many of you have the gift of prophecy, and I've seen you use it whether you knew it was the gift of prophecy or not. There's certainly that aspect of prophecy that's foretelling or, you know, future telling. But there's also the gift of prophecy that when you exercise it, where you are encouraging and building one up because you're speaking not just a word of truth, but you're speaking something into their lives that the Lord Jesus Christ wants them to hear. And it's to build them up. And they come away refreshed. And I watch that week in and week out where you come together, maybe even a few minutes after service, you're talking, how was your week? And somebody, oh, you know, this is what's going on. Oh, man, the Lord has got you. He loves you. He's doing this. And boy, the way you do this, the way God, and you're right then and there, you're using the gift of prophecy from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're actually being used by the Lord and the gifts are being poured out. It's happening right before you. That's speaking that you, that doesn't make you a prophet. You may do that at times when God leads you or he gives you an utterance or a, 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 a calling to do that at the moment, but that doesn't make you a prophet. It's not like Samuel, the next day you're going to wake up and God is going to immediately tell you what's going to happen in your day the day after that. And, you know, that is the, what we would understand today, what we would think of more of an Old Testament prophet or seer right? That's not what Saul had. Had Saul had had that, he certainly would have been able to discern from God with foreknowledge that he would do what? That he would begin to get prideful in his heart and think that his sacrifices could appease God rather than his obedience. And that didn't happen. So clearly, it speaks more to the, the idea that he was acting as one of a prophet. Certainly he was doing that, but it wasn't that he was the prophet. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Of course, there's power. You shall go down before them or for before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Please notice that. Samuel said it right up from the beginning that way. There's different offices. Saul's being called to be a king. Samuel is a priest and a prophet. They have different roles and responsibilities. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day 
When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, if he, as we would say in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's different, and he prophesied among them. He was speaking foreknowledge among them. It's the same thing God can do today through you or I he, when he places that gifting upon you. But please understand, as we're going to read in chapters 14 and 15, just because the Holy Spirit came upon him doesn't mean that Saul didn't have the capacity to still sin. It didn't mean that Saul didn't have a choice to be used by God or do what he thought was right in his own eyes. Because just because the Spirit of God comes upon you and lives in you and I as New Testament believers, the Spirit of God doesn't just come on us for a moment like he did with the artisans when they were building the tabernacle or like he did with Saul right here, right? Or Moses for that matter. Or any, you know, the Spirit of God would come upon them for the office or duty they were doing and then the Spirit of God would come. New Testament believers, we're sealed. Jesus Christ said, I must go, that I send the Comforter, the one that will come and seal you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. He's indwelt in us, indwells us individually and corporately. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Individually and when we are together bearing one another witness of God to the Holy Spirit and the testimony of that happens every time believers gather in the name of Christ. We become one in that. Just like when we worship. And he also lives in us individually. Again, you can read 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 6 for that. But when they came to the hill there, he says that, you know, they came and they were prophesied among them. And it happened when all them, when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, what is this that he has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? They recognized something was different. When God comes into your heart and Jesus comes into your heart, you are forever changed. You are forever changed. Just like Saul, you receive a new heart. Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? A couple more verses and we'll, we'll stop here tonight. And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place, again to worship God. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, Now please notice what he leaves out here. Please notice that he just got in, in full of the Holy Spirit, full of God, got a new heart, and yet he holds things back. Maybe he was thinking about these things. Maybe he was processing these things. We're not told why, but he leaves out a good portion of the fact that he was anointed by Samuel for a work. So then Saul's uncle said to him, hey, he says, I went to look for the donkeys, and when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Now, next week when we come, we'll read verses 17 on. And we're going to see this is later sometime. This isn't the next day. There might be, you know, days that go by before we go into verse 17. So it's a good place for us to stop. But I, I just want to leave us with a word here tonight. You know, just as we saw with Saul, and we will read, and these are very important passages, as all the Word of God is, we will see that Saul starts well. We will see that there is humility, Right? But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. 
And Jesus has promised, if we are submitted and surrender, he who has begun the good work in you will finish that good work. Sanctification is not something you have to strive for or do. It's not that you can earn it or work it. You know what it requires? Submission. You must let go and let God. It sounds easy, but it's very hard to do. And yes, friends, it is a required course. It is a required course. And the faster that we are, or the path in which we are transformed, the musicians can come up, the faster or the, the transformation that happens is really up to Christ. But it ultimately is up to you. Because if you hold on so tight and you are trying to control everything and you are not allowing Christ to lead you or use you, instead of helping the God by getting out of the way and allowing him to do the work of sanctification, you do one of these moves. Have you ever seen people do this? I trust the Lord. You've probably watched me do it. It's not, God doesn't want to break your fingers. He wants you willingly to come to him and surrender. I love that song, I Surrender All. Just think about that for a minute. I surrender all. We sing it, but do we really mean it? Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Lord, just in this sweet time we've just had with you here, where you've washed our minds tonight, Oh, Lord, protect us from ourselves. Protect us, protect me from my pride, God, my arrogance. Let me have reverential fear for you, Lord, all the days of my life. Lord, bless your flock and keep them safe. Lord, that we may never leave our first love, Jesus. Lord, that your spirit would never depart from us. And we wouldn't seek to do what's right in our own eyes, God. But that we would obey you because you desire obedience over sacrifice. And Lord, I will tell you, it is hard today, Lord, with so much coming at every one of us here. In our workplaces, in our homes. With the complication of technology and everything we have, that near instantaneously, Lord, the whole world is put on notice. Lord, we see it. We know what you're doing. You're allowing the one world government, Lord. This pandemic was proof that we're there. You're showing us for the first time ever in history the whole world at one time infected with a virus that was able to be communicated to the whole world at one time. Lord, there's nothing left. It's all unfolding just as you said prophetically in your word. So God, please don't let us stand in the way. Please use us, Lord. Please use us in these last days to preach you, Jesus Christ, you and you crucified. 
and the hope that lies within us, Lord. May we be boldness. Fill us anew tonight. We pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, that it would fall fresh upon us and we would be filled with that boldness, Lord, to speak your truth, knowing very well that many will hate us, even though we love them because you love them first. So Jesus, do this work in us tonight. Bless us, let your face so shine upon us. Give us your countenance, Lord. Give us your peace. And we trust, Lord, that your peace will surpass all of our understanding, Jesus. We walk out of here full of hope because we serve the one true God. Hallelujah, Jesus. And all God's children prayed. Amen.